As our children make their way out, it is Vacation Bible School Week, and uh, I think we have 148 children pre-registered for Vacation Bible School. Absolutely. It is going to be a wonderful, wonderful week, and uh, I know that all of our workers are absolutely fired up, and they're wondering how in the world are we going to deal with all them kids, but we're going to make it. Uh, we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. The, the decor around here is just incredible. And uh, I love the fact that the dice are at the pulpit right here. <laughs> some, of y'all, some of y'all know what it's like to throw dice. You're looking at them up here. I just want you to remember they played dice. At, they threw dice at the foot of the cross, right? And so we're throwing them at the pulpit today. And, uh, and we're giving God praise in this house. Wonderful time of worship, Powers. I appreciate you. I appreciate your team up here, Connie and Todd, helping to lead worship. Uh, Joseph back here playing four instruments. Uh, we're going to put a harmonica on you next time to, fi- to play five instruments. All of these guys back here, I'm just so thankful. Uh, Shook and Dylan Hoggle and Greg leading worship. I appreciate every single one of you your gifts, your talents, your attitude to serve God. Um, just, uh, I'm just so thankful for you guys. Philippians chapter number 3 is where we are going. Philippians chapter number 3, we will look at uh, verses 12 through 14 today. If you are brand new here, we're glad that you're here. We pray uh, that Christ would be exalted uh, in everything that we do and that you walk away not talking about uh, us but talking about Jesus today. And uh, we do pray that you're treated like family uh, here at Union Hill and had a wonderful time uh, meeting with uh, a couple that uh, talking through baby dedication and, and just their testimony. Uh, they just recently joined and just their testimony about how the church feels so much like family here. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I got to share with them a little bit about uh, just some thoughts that we have toward the future and, and uh, future construction and down the road, whatever time frame that the Lord would have on any of that. Uh, we will be patient and trust God, but uh, just got to talking about a little bit about how uh, we want to experience some church fellowship again, um, and so this will be a great opportunity for that down the road. But having said that, next Sunday night at 5.30, we are going to be at Black Creek uh, down at the river past Red Top. If you go on Alliance Road past Red Top, I don't know, a couple of streets on your right is Black Creek, and go down the hill, and we're going to be there fellowshipping together, baptizing some folks uh, in the river, and uh, just having a wonderful time. And if you want to show up, come on. Uh, We should have put out a sign-up list today. We have not. And so, uh, uh, if Justin, if you can handle a sign-up list uh, between now and the end of the service, uh, you got just a little bit of time to to do that. That'd be great. Um, And we can put a sign-up list. It would help us to know about food if you're coming. Bring a long chair. If you got children, let them wear a swimsuit. We're going to hang out and swim and just have a good time and baptize some folks. Wonderful time for church fellowship. Hey, I, I know that, uh, that many of you will have a hard time believing this, but there was a time in my life where I lifted weights pretty regularly. It's been a while. It's been a while. Children change everything, they told us before Sawyer showed up. I got so sick of hearing that, but it is the flat-out truth. Ten years later, Here I am talking about when I used to lift weights, right? Children do change everything. Even in high school, some of my earliest memories, middle school, high school, some of my earliest memories um, 
They were, they were like uh, a tale of two cities. It was the best of time and worst of times that I'm about to tell you about. Uh, but I remember the summer of my, of my ninth grade, eighth grade, going into ninth grade year uh, was when we as middle schoolers began to practice and be around the high school football team there at Hueytown High School coming from Pittman, Pittman in those days, Pittman it was, and going up to the high school. Some of you uh, were on those teams, some of you were in school with me, so you remember some of this, but I'll never forget walking into the field house that first day in the summer uh, of, uh, of my ninth grade, going into ninth grade year, and I met this wild man, strength and conditioning offensive line coach that if I think about him too much, he'll make my stomach turn right now by the name of Jeff Smith. And Coach Smith was one of those guys that could absolutely get the most out of the guys that were underneath him. But he had this system that I was introduced to in the, uh, at the end of my eighth grade year where we would take our maxes and find our numbers on certain lifts. Bench press, I don't know why. We always used to think the bench press is the indicator of whether or not you're dealing with a man or a man, right? Uh, there's certainly better lifts than that, but bench press seemed to be the greatest one. Bench press, incline press, squat, deadlift, and then really the exercise that we didn't really know how good it was for us back then probably was just doing it wrong and getting ourselves hurt, but power clean. We used to power clean back in those days. Once those markers were established, there was a combination of lifts throughout the week of days where we did heavy lifting for legs, heavy lifting for chest and arms, heavy and then light lifting for legs, light lifting for arms, a day in the middle of the week for conditioning and rest. Uh, and so everyone in the weight room could begin to chart their progress. Uh, Coach Smith had this chart up on every lit lift, and so you would look on the left side of the chart and find whatever you had maxed out at, and then you would begin to slide over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you would slide over, and you would see the percentages of that lift or that max weight. And so if you maxed out at, I don't know, 205 on bench press, you would slide over and see, okay, this particular day we're going to do 50% of the weight and it would be this much. And so, because a lot of us weren't good at percentages in those days. And so he would give us the exact amount of weight that we were to lift on a heavy day and a light day. Are you with me today? I know I've said a lot. I'm sorry. Anyone in the weight room could chart the progress from month to month looking back at that max day. What I want to talk about, you can see the same thing theme going on when you carry your children to the doctor. Even when they're sick, you carry them to the doctor. Uh, the nurse there at St. Vincent's that we go to, uh, who I would not want to mess with, uh, she, she is, she's a wonderful woman but a beast, and, uh, and she's just so, so great. But she's so great with my kids. But every time we're there, she charts their weight and their height from visit to visit in order to compare and chart and understand growth so that they know, watch this, if there's no growth over time, then they can understand that there's an issue related to health that may be addressed. 
this morning, I want to look at this theme in Philippians chapter number 3, verses 12 through 14, that I, I believe is going to show us the thought process that a sign of health is growth. A sign of health is growth. Look at verse 12 with me of Philippians chapter number 3. Remember, Paul's writing from prison, handcuffed, chained to an imperial guard. Every six hours that guard got rotated from him. And what we learn from the book of Philippians is that the gospel had spread throughout the whole Caesar's guard. All of the, the, all of the guards had learned about Jesus, and a lot of them had gotten saved. I, I just wonder, these guards, every six hours they got chained to Paul. Uh, what a what a divine coincidence to be chained to somebody for them. Paul took that, took that opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Look at what Paul says about growth. Listen to what he says. Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect. Obtained what? All of what we've talked about for two Sundays. All, all of the, the verses 10 and 11, knowing Jesus knowing the power of his resurrection, fellowship with him in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 12, Paul says, not that I have obtained all of this already. I hadn't gotten there yet. We used to sing a song, he's still working on me. Y'all know that one? Paul's saying, he's still working on me. Not that I've already obtained all this or been made perfect already, but here it is. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A sign of health is growth. And we see that in verse 12. We see that Paul says, I haven't obtained all of this already. Uh, specifically talking about to verses 10 and 11. I don't, I know Jesus, but, but I can know him more. I have his power, but I want more of his power in my life. I've suffered for Christ, but if suffering for Jesus makes me more like Jesus in his death, then I want to share in the more of the suffering. Who prays like that? Paul does. Paul does. And Paul is saying, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm working on it. In fact, he's working in me, is what Paul is really saying in other places in the book of Philippians. I think that this is the heart of the text today, that a sign of health is growth. It is the expectation, please hear me, it is the expectation of God that we live in a growing relationship with Him. That we are on a journey with Him. Increasing in knowledge of Him. Increasing in our understanding of His ways. Knowing Him and loving Him all the more as the days grow closer to seeing Him one day. That our faith is an ever maturing and growing process. And that the Lord's expectation is never for us to be stagnant in our pursuit of Him. Stagnant water collects insects, flies, and mosquitoes. Stagnant water collects the larvae 
of mosquitoes, collects the larvae of flies. And people can't drink from stagnant water without getting sick. Please hear me. You better listen. Be careful in life of who you drink water from. Because if you're drinking from the wisdom of stagnant water, stagnant people will fill you with stagnant truth. I'm blown away at the people in our lives when we go through difficult situations, the people in our lives that happen to be around us. And when we go through a difficult situation, the people in our lives that are stagnant believers, maybe even stagnant lost people who would profess Christ, And those same people who do not know God, who do not speak truth about God, find their way into our life. And it's amazing as a believer that we love what they have to tell us. But always remember, stagnant water will ruin our bellies. It'll ruin our heart. The writer of Hebrews deals with this same issue in chapter 6, and he deals with some doctrinal confusion there in the book of Hebrews. And he, and he tells them, uh, quote, in chapter 6, verse 1, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity. Let's grow up. He says, hey, church, you got a problem. I can't teach you any deeper things of God because you haven't grown any. You're in the same place spiritually from the last time that we talked. By now, you would think your faith would be a little stronger. By now, we may need to know a little bit more scripture than Jesus wept. By now, we should be able to experience some things that used to shake us at our core, but but we've progressed with Jesus. And now those things that used to shake us don't shake us anymore. And it's not because the things are lighter, but it's because our faith in a strong God has grown. There are deeper things that God wants to teach us, But sometimes he doesn't teach us because we have to be reminded of the more surfacey things over and over and over and over again. I'm just thankful for the patience of God that he never does this to his children, aren't you? Because God continually comes back and teaches us those things. Oswald Chambers in his in his uh, commentary or his devotional, one of the greatest selling devotionals that's ever been written, uh, Oswald Chambers in one of those devotional days writes, it just always sticks out at me trying to make this point. Uh, Oswald Chambers in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, says this. He says, that, he says that oftentimes God will send us through a trial in order to change our heart. And if we don't slow down to ask God, what are you trying to teach us? then we will go through that trial not understanding what God is doing and the trial will be over and we will feel relieved, but we never learn from God. And so now what the Lord will do is send us right back through another trial to try to understand the very thing he's trying to teach us. You see, the thought process is is that we slow down and put our minds on Christ and begin to progress in our thoughts and understandings of who God is from what the Word of God says. Verse 12, Paul is saying, I ain't fully gotten all this yet, but I'm growing. 
I'm growing in His power. I'm growing in my understanding. I'm growing in my sufferings, and I'm trusting God all the more. Serious question today. You ready? Serious question. Are you growing with God? Are you growing with Him? Or are you stagnant? Paul uses the word press in verse 12. He presses on. It carries with it the idea of intense endeavor. Choosing out of your will, out of the God who lives inside of you and making a choice to press into God. Well, I, I don't have to press. God, God's in control and I trust him and I lean on his grace and I lean on his mercy and I really don't have to do anything. Brothers and sisters, it is a choice of your will that needs to be bent to the power of God to choose to get up into the morning and worship God. It is a choice to choose to come to church. It is a choice to choose to lead your family. It is a choice to choose to love somebody who has wronged you. It is a choice to choose to forgive. It is a choice to choose to study the Bible. It is a choice in our life. We press into these things. We press into them. Paul is saying, I used to press into Judaism. I was zealous as an unbeliever. But now I press into Christ. Two thoughts right here that we are tempted with in verses 12 and 13. 12 and 13, there are two temptations here that I want to address. Two temptations that I want to address. If you look at verse 13 particularly, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Let's, let's talk about two temptations that we have. Temptation number one, there's a temptation in all of this Moving with Christ, there's a temptation to live in the glory of yesterday's religious accomplishments. There's a temptation to live on yesterday's manna. That religious resume that Paul runs in verses 4 and 5 and 6 that we have broken down, that all of those things that Paul thought was so important, his spiritual pedigree that Paul was so proud of. Paul says, I'm not living in that in that anymore. I'm living in Christ today and I'm living in Christ tomorrow. His religious accomplishment was a mile long. But Paul knew that being religious is no substitute for knowing Christ. He's moving forward with Jesus now. Often I hear people talk about their past accomplishments in the faith. Churches are the worst about this. You talk about churches... Uh, I was in a church for a long time, a church that I loved. But when you talk to those people in that church and you talk to them about what God had done to that church in that church, they had to go back 30 years to what God had done in that church. And they lived on the accomplishments of 30 years ago. Their classic phrase was, and it was a wonderful phrase, but, but they, had, they had heard one another say it so much that they had adopted it as it's each person's own, although they were just copying one another. Brother Mike, I remember the days we had to pull out chairs down the, down the aisle. And they were so proud of the glory days of yesterday. Churches live in the glory days of yesterday. They're living on bread that is decades old, stale, 
old bread. Now that may be good when you get on that place on Highway 150 and you got to buy 100 hamburger buns for the church function. Let's go get the cheap hamburger buns, right? But nobody has time for stale bread. What is Christ doing now? What is he doing in your life right now? Where is he leading you right now? I had a friend text me yesterday asking me, just put me on the spot, holding his pastor accountable. He asked me, Brother Mike, what are you reading right now in your life? And I'll just make a confession to you. There are times that you could ask me that, and other than the Scripture, I'm not sure I would know what to say. But this brother is trying to feed his soul with, with not only the Word of God, but but people that love God and what they've written, and he's just grasping at anything to feed his soul. And I begin to share with him some of the things that I'm reading. One of those is my utmost for his highest. I read it not every day, but I read it weekly. It's one of the greatest devotional books that I've ever read. Challenging. How can you grow with Christ when we don't read? Well, I watch 30-second TikTok things about Jesus. You're not nourishing your soul. Your mom and dad labored with you to learn to read. Your teachers labored with you to learn to read. Open up the Word of God and read. Nourish your soul on what God has said. I think too many of us, if I was to ask you in here today, give me a testimony of what God is doing in your life, you would have to go back years and years and years to find something. And it's because you've become stagnant. Many of you wouldn't have anything to say. You would sit in silence. Some of us have been Christians for 20, 30 years, 15 years, 10 years. And if I was to ask you, what has God done in your life? You would have to go all the way back to 10 years ago when God humbled you. 20 years ago when God put you on your knees. 30 years ago when God arrested your heart for the first time and said that you're a sinner. And you cried out and God rescued you. And that's fantastic. We need to look back and we need to remember. But please hear me. The God 30 years ago is still alive today and wants to do something in your life now. Now. Why are we wasting time being stagnant? I'll tell you why. We're sleeping in the hammock of grace. And we've fallen fast asleep. God wants to wake us up. There's a temptation in this to live on yesterday. And while I could preach, let's remember yesterday. I think it's good. We can't forget yesterday or we can't, we can't forsake yesterday or we can't lean on yesterday at the sake of not trusting God today. What is he doing in your life today? Well, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Then seek him and find him. Jeremiah chapter 29. Seek him with all that you have and you will find him. He will show you. He will reveal to you. He will reveal to you. God wants us to seek him today. To trust Him today and to trust Him tomorrow and to trust Him next week. Well, let me move on. A temptation, there's a temptation of comparison. 
there's a temptation of comparison. Not only do we have a temptation to live in yesterday, but there's a temptation of comparing ourselves to someone else. There's a temptation to point a judgmental finger in this, to say, to look at someone around us and to see how stagnant someone else is. And to say, well, compared to them, I'm not stagnant at all. That person's stagnant. It's to look around with a finger and to judge people that aren't pursuing God in their life and to think good about ourselves because someone else may not be pursuing God as good as I am. I may not be the best, but I'm not like they are. At least I come to church. Y'all understand that there are people that do not love God who come to church every week. They have no joy in the worship. They have no joy in the preaching. They have no joy in giving anything. They have no joy in living for Jesus outside of these walls. But bless God, they got good church attendance. And so there's a temptation to look at our church attendance and to say, well, I'm better than they are. And that temptation, brothers and sisters, is not what Paul is looking at. He's comparing himself to Christ, not someone else, to Jesus. Uh, there's always a temptation to look at someone and say, they need the fixing, not me. Aaron is the one who stinks in this marriage, not me. She's the one who doesn't satisfy my needs. And our marriage would be a lot better if you would satisfy every need that I have and all my beck and calls. You need to be fixed, not me. There's a temptation to look and say, my kids are the problem, not me. Where are the teachers at today? Would you raise your hand? I'm serious. Raise your hand. There's a lot of you in here. You're the problem, not my kid. God, I got to go home with one. It's your fault my kid doesn't learn. It's your fault my kid is rude in class. Aaron, why doesn't my kid read? Do better. I think there was a time in Paul's life when he would have looked at everyone down his nose. If he had glasses, he would have looked at them like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He would have looked at them down their nose in comparison and says, I don't need to change. You do. And there's something in me now, Paul is saying, that Jesus is trying to change me now. He's changing me. Really quickly, some growth marks. And you know what I'm thinking about here? I'm thinking about going to my mom and dad's house. And you walk into their basement. And, um, and on the right, they have uh, on the wall, they have charted Sam and Sawyer's and my brother's kids uh, height. Anybody do that at their house somewhere? It's really cool to watch. Look, mostly grandparents. Is there? Uh, seriously, raise your hand. I'm gonna see who does this. It's fantastic. It's cool. I love looking at it. I walk in and I see their their growth chart. Right? Are there some growth marks in the Christian life? I think there is. Th this is just a hodgepodge. There's probably a hundred more that we're not talking about for the time's sake. Uh, I think this is a good one. Is there joy in Jesus in your life? Or is all this just religious routine that doesn't matter? And, and you know what? It's 1119, and I know that Mike roughly ends at 1130, and then 1135-ish, uh, and then after invitation, and then 
and then I pick up my kid, and then, like, we just move on with our day, and this is how we do Sundays, and, and I'm counting this 11, 19 right now, and, and there's just really no joy in any of this. There's no joy in the morning about Jesus. In fact, I don't even think about Jesus at all during the week and until Sunday comes around. And, you know, I, I may tune in just a little bit. I mean, I can give it or take, get, take it or leave it. Hey, for the sake of family, I just show up so my mom and daddy won't be mad at me. No real joy. I think joy is a wonderful growth marker. Paul says this over and over and over in the letter to Philippians. Rejoice, rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Is there joy? This thing keeps going. Do we speak his name? When you're out in public, do you talk about him at all? And I don't mean get, sitting down with someone and having, having just this, this, this four-hour conversation about the Trinity. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but I, I mean, when you randomly meet people, you get past that, hey, how you doing? Doing good. You doing good? Yes, you're doing good. Doing good. All right, good, good. Good deal. Good, have a good day. And if the Lord gets you in a conversation just a little bit past that, is there ever a moment, is there ever this desire inside of you that just wants to say, I mean, let's just say it was a Monday. You, you just look at someone and say, I worshiped the Lord so much yesterday, and it was just a wonderful time. You ever just speak Jesus' name to anybody? Just because it's a desire and it's a joy in your life, that's a growth marker. It's a growth marker. We've been called to evangelize. We've been called to have Jesus conversations with people. Is there a dying to sin? <laughs> or are you proud of your sin? We'll talk about that next week. Being proud of sin. Christians are called to die to sin. That's a growth marker. Or, 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 or are you just investing your whole life into your sin and, and you're not checking up at all? This last one, do we read his word and pray? Do we read his word and pray? We, we are constantly handing out material. There's a devotional in the foyer right now. If you have no devotional material in your life, I'd encourage you to get that devotion, uh, devotional out there and, and just begin to start your day off, your morning off, in the Word of God. Maybe take that devotional and your Bible off to the side and begin to read, and then all of a sudden you'll be thinking the Holy Spirit will hit you in your mind as you're reading the devotional, as you're reading the Scripture over the top. They're not long, and you go over to the Scripture and you read that verse, and then maybe you read two more verses. Remember, it, it's, it's quality, not quantity. We're not asking. I don't think the Lord is asking us to read uh, 50 pages of the Bible a day. Maybe He is, and maybe that's where you need to be. I, I can't do that. Uh, I, I, I digest about one or two verses of Scripture or a story. And then we begin to read, and all of a sudden, you know what will begin to happen? The Holy Spirit will speak into your heart. The Word of God will, will drive out the devil in your life. The Word of God will drive out fear and worry and anxiety. The Word makes you confident in who God is. It, it makes you less confident in yourself and more confident in a God who's, who's more powerful than anything you could ever walk through. It'll make you confident in the God who already stands in tomorrow, even though we're right here. Our God already stands on June the 5th at 1123 tomorrow. He already stands there. He's waiting on me to get there. 
When I begin to read God's word and about, about his kingdom and about his sovereignty and about his hand and about his favor on his people, I, I just got to be honest. What is bigger that I can face tomorrow? What is bigger than him? How would I know that without reading his word? Oh, I could know it. But I won't know it. Reading his word makes all those things that you grew up with hearing. Reading his word makes you know it. Makes you know it. Real quick, let's, let's, let's focus this thing down a little bit. Verse 14, there's an end goal for growth. Powers, you guys can come on up. There's an end goal for growth. An end goal. Verse 14, look at what he says. I press on. There it is again, pressing. I make it my, my life's goal. I'm, I'm choosing these things. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus, Paul uses this race language. It's a race analogy here. He does it several times. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Do not, Don't you know that, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Then in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Paul has the Olympic Games in mind here. He says they run to get a crown that will not last in the book of Corinthians. They had these, they had these, uh, these laurels, these wreaths, these leaf wreaths coming around and you would get one for winning. Paul says that they ran to get this crown that fades. We run to get a crown that lasts. A whole other sermon here on the, the idea of crowns in heaven. You understand that there are crowns in heaven that, that we can receive, that we will be rewarded with. We don't really, this is really how a lot of us think about the Christian life. Uh, well, I, I got saved, and as long as I get in, then, then I'm good. You don't go to your job like that. You want to be rewarded at your job. Paul says we are working for crowns that, that last forever. We will receive these crowns and we will receive these war, rewards. I went to a funeral last week where the pastor brought out a wonderful point here. He said, you know how much of a runner I am. <laughs> I love to run. Pastor says, our race in the Christian life isn't against one another. So I'm not competing in a 40-yard dash against anyone in here. That's not the race. I mean, if, if we did compete in a 40-yard dash, let's just say the staff got together and competed in a 40-yard dash. I, I mean, there's no question that I would win that race. But that's not the race. No, the race is not a 40-yard dash. The race is a marathon. See, 
seeing a marathon, and I know you want to get technical with me and go, well, there are winners of marathons, Mike. Okay, the illustration always breaks down at some point. But let me just throw this out here. Most of you, if anybody's in here has run a marathon, you ain't worried about winning the race. You're worried about your own time. It's my race. It's my race with Christ. It's slow at times. Hey, I've stopped at times. I, I, I've, in fact, in fact, I, I did a Bo Jackson one time and ran the wrong way. I, I, I've been so slow with Jesus sometimes in my race. But I cannot get away from the grace of God that continually beckons me to keep running and moving. In fact, when I begin to have moments with Jesus, I begin to long for the race more than I ever have in my life. I want to receive this crown of life Paul talks about. I, I, I want to... I want to be presented with this crown. I want to wear it for a split second only to take it off my head and you'll be there too. You'll take yours off your head and I want to be there when Christ is exalted and I want to take my crown along with, along with millions of other believers throughout the centuries and I want to take my crown and I want to cast it at the feet of Christ because everyone there will know one day that I'm really here not because I'm good but because he's good and he got me there. I want to take my crown and I want to cast it at the feet of Jesus. But I can't get a crown if I stop running. I got to press on. I got to run. Let me close. Justin Salter and I went and made a visit at someone's house this past week who has had surgery, just really down. And we tried to go be a blessing and it turned out that this gentleman was a blessing to us and this older guy He's on the downward part of his life. He really is. He would tell you that. He looked at me and Justin, and we honestly thought we were going to be a blessing to this man, and we absolutely walked out of there going, oh, my goodness, he just set our heart on fire for Christ. He looked at us, and this older guy that's, that's going through suffering right now, he's struggling. He's struggling. He can't get around. It's killing him. He looks at us, big old tears falling down out of his eyes, and he said, you know what? This is a godly man. He's lived for the Lord. He's been in church his whole life. He's helped pastor churches. He looks at us with big old tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, I preached my whole life on what I thought faith is and was. He said, but the Lord has got me to this part of my life, and he's really has taught me about what faith truly is. I used to preach on faith. I knew about this much of it. The Lord has stretched me, and he said, now I know about this much about it. And he looked at me and Justin and just tears rolling down our face, down his face. He looks at us and he says, you can't quit, boys. He goes, I don't care how hard the ministry is. I don't care how hard it is leading your family. I don't care how hard it is preaching. I don't care who in your life that doesn't like you. He said, you can't quit, boys. You will learn as you grow older the things you're talking about now, you will come to full completion in your life to truly understand them. You, he just, he's going, you can't quit. You can't quit. And he said it about five times. And I left out of there wanting to storm the pits of hell. 
because this old man that loves Jesus was pouring into a bunch of young preachers. And I'm just telling you, church, look at me. You can't quit. You cannot quit. We are running for a prize that will last forever. What in this earth lasts forever? Nothing lasts forever. We run for Christ because that's the stuff that lasts forever. If you're in this place and you're lost, you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you're a stagnant Christian, I pray that the Holy Spirit gets behind you with his pitchfork and kicks you in the backside. Let's get it going. The altar's open for anyone that needs prayer. We would love to pray with you. God is good. Can I get an amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, would you bless this time of invitation? We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray.